Good morning. I hope you had a good weekend. Just like a, like a breath of quiet there for a second. I think that's what I bring. I think it's my presence. When I'm, I've been hanging out with my buddy Oakland this weekend. We've had a good time. And uh, we went Friday night over to Best Buy and looked at phones. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what happened, but can you believe how many choices you've got now of different phones? Now, I'm kind of a iPhone guy, and I know some of you go, yay, and then some of you go, boo, it's about that, because it's like we build teams and loyalty around electronics and what kind of phone you carry, but I have to admit, I looked at this new, I can't remember the name of it, Samsung G something, but it's so cool looking in the screen, I mean, it's like you can just reach in there, it's like the first time I ever saw HDTV, and some of you think, you are so old. But I grew up with like a three-channel black and white. Some of you remember that. And, um, and it shocked you if you touched it. So uh, you, you, you'd go change the channel. I'm not changing the channel. You go change the channel. And now I've got like 200 channels in my pocket, plus some movies recorded in YouTube. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Now, I, like I said, I use an iPhone. Some of you use uh, Android. Some of you, uh, like I've got a friend who has... It's Colin Moskow in the room. He uses like a flip, I think it's like a StarTac or something, you know, it's, and he's so proud of it. It can make calls, and that's pretty much what it can do. Um, some of you don't have one at all, and you don't care. But the thing about it, you choose because of the hardware, because you like this design or that design. I mean, I could almost be persuaded because that thing was so gorgeous. I'm like, whoa, it's mesmerizing. But you know what stops me from that? It's because I have invested so much. This is like my, I don't know what version it is, how many iPhones I've had. You know, so I'm sort of stuck in that. And I'm not like it. I'm not complaining. I know our tech guy, Josh, is he's, he's not there with it. But um, all my apps are Apple. All my what I know, you know, I kind of can I've got it figured out where I can bump around and I can do what I need to do because not just the phone, but what's in it, the operating system. You get you get it, right? There's some of you think, "Oh, I missed Windows 98." <laughs> oh, why did they have to change it? You know, or whatever it is that you're, you know, you where wherever you came in or wherever you got stuck in what you learned. But it's the operating system. That's what's important. So if I want a new phone, i got to wait till September and see what they are. Because I'm always like a couple of generations, you know, I'm a generation back or so. And then when that one comes, that's going to be my turn. My two-year deal's up so I can get. But you know what? It's the operating system in it. The reason I'm making such a big deal out of that is because we're starting a brand new series today called Saved and Set Free. And we're going to talk about today... God's original design. God's original operating system. He has wired me and built me and designed me to operate in a certain way. And you too. And he's done the same thing for churches. We're to function. We function at our best and our most efficient and our most praiseworthy to the Lord when we're operating by that system. Have you ever gotten a virus in your computer or malware? Yesterday we went to a movie and I dropped my phone. And you know that feeling? Because <gasps> you're, I mean, it's ridiculous how connected we are to it. 
But I think, oh no, now I'm less than you. What do I do now with my life? I have no purpose. I look, you know, but it, it kept working. But it's that operating system that makes you who you are. Now, what's happened is through time, we've gotten corrupted. It's like we've got these viruses, we've got these programs running in the background. And you know what happens on your computer where it slows down or it acts glitchy or you think, oh, I'm just going to have to restart this thing again. And, you know, because there's something that's, that's kind of messed up. That's a little bit about what this, uh, this message today is about because God has an operating system for your life and for your marriage, for your family and your church. And when you get off, even just a little and you start going in this direction or this direction, it doesn't work right. And you start wondering, but I'm a Christian, and I kind of get it, and I've read a lot of Scripture. How come my life's not working? It's, it's, it's God's original design that we've got to get back to. It's, it's the operating system. So keep that in mind uh, for today. God did not design the church or you to live in defeat, just to survive, just to get by. And that's what it is. He wants you to live a vibrant life. And I know that sounds like preacher talk, but he wants you to thrive. He wants you to blossom and and to grow. He wants it to be a beautiful thing. In fact, he said, the operating system that I've designed for you will enable you to live as more than a conqueror. Not just getting by, not just kind of making it through. And if you've been watching, you know, the... The, the basketball games, and you think, who's going to get by and who's just going to be more than a conqueror and, and get to that place? That's kind of the way God wants you to live. So here's what we're going to do, okay? In our next session, today we're going to talk about God's original design, His operating system. In the next session, we're going to talk about how Jesus and the cross and our salvation enables us to live in freedom. Is there anything your heart yearns for more than just to be free? Just to be free? You see, we may take that even the concept for granted. Or we think, well, God, I think you set me free. I really don't get that. I don't understand the whole liberty thing. But I'm just going to settle for this. And I'm going to call that freedom. And it's really not. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. And after that, we're going to talk about how we live in one world... But there are two realms uh, to this world, that we live in a world comprised of these, these two places within, which interact with each other on a regular basis. You know, we just, we're coming off Easter, and that's like the most beautiful holiday, because you don't have to decorate your house, you don't have to, you know, you travel, you don't have to buy a lot of gifts, you don't, I mean, I just, I, I love it because you just celebrate it, and it's, it's not pure, but it's a little closer than some of the others, right? You don't get stressed. You don't go to, have, oh, i got to go to another Easter party. You know, you don't, you, you just, you don't have all that. So I really love that. And I love the fact that, that that event that we commemorate or celebrate is all about the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection. Resurrection. That's the most powerful event, I think, in human history. This guy was dead, dead, dead. And he literally, physically came back to life. 
Now, the power that raised Jesus is, in the very first song we sang today, just blatantly said this. So you've already sung this truth. You've, you've affirmed it and testified to it. Whether you really believe it or get it, uh, and I don't know if I always do. That same power is the power that lives in you. You've heard guys like me say that before, right? Oh yeah, Jesus lives in me. Is that power? I want you to really think about that. The power of the resurrection is the same. It's not a duplicate. It's not sort of like it. It's not something kind of you know the same as. No, it is the same power that lives in you. You think, wow, that's in me? Yeah, that's in you. But it's not unleashed. You may not be experiencing that. So that's what this series is about. Then we're going to look at the authority that God gave us. Do you know that you have authority? That in Christ you have authority? You don't feel like that, right? You think, I don't. I feel defeated most of the time. I don't feel like I've got any authority. I feel like I'm like the... You know, at the bottom of the ladder. You're not. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about how the enemy can build strongholds in your life. We're going to look at a little word called tapas. And I know you're impressed. But what that means is a specific locality. A place. There is, there are these pockets in your personality, in your life, in your heart. And the enemy works his way in to maybe one or more places and creates a stronghold. And I've come to believe that these can be very specific. And if you're not careful, and you know what? I I don't understand how women think exactly, but I know how guys think because I are one. And we are amazingly efficient at compartmentalizing things. You know, I'm doing my taxes. The house is on fire. Yeah, okay. House on fire. I'm going to put over here for just a minute because I've got to finish this and get this done. We can do that. Oh, that's, oh, yeah? Okay, I'll be right with you because, and we could just got all these things going in our head at once. Women, you probably can do that too, but I think you are beautifully and uh, more wonderfully connected. It's like both halves of your brains are just like working at the same time. We jump back and forth. Hang on a minute. You know, we go over here and like... You know, and we're just, we're very simple creatures. Uh, but the enemy knows how to work. He knows your vulnerabilities, and he knows those places in your personality to set up camp. And so that's what he does. He sets up strongholds. And there may be some habits or patterns, sin, let me just say it, sins in your life. You think, I've had this ever since I was a little girl. Ever since I was a teenage guy, you know, I have struggled in this area, and it has become a stronghold. Here's what I think. I think if we can understand how the enemy builds strongholds, then we can begin to understand how to dismantle those. So that's what we're going to do. Don't miss that week. God wants us to enjoy the fullness of his design. And he wants us to enjoy the life he gives us. I'm not one of those, you know, like, ah, I'm a Christian, you know, and I'm always happy and everything always goes my way. And I'm just like spiritually lucky now because I don't believe that. I don't think that. I know it's hard sometimes, but I really believe that God wants you to enjoy your life. 
And he wants to carry out the work and the ministry of Jesus in you and through you. And that's going to be a common theme in every message because, guys, I don't know if we really get that. I think we have our own days. It's like, okay, Saturday morning, you know what? I'm going to get up and go over and I'm going to watch these kids play soccer and I'm going to cheer for them. Some of you came today, you know, and the runners were going by. I think I might run next year. I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to run as a pastor. I think I'm going to wear a suit. And just I'm just going to like, and maybe have an offering plate under, and just, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that just, and you go, ah, God bless you, or whatever, I don't know, you know, but... I I might do that. But, you know, God, you know, you may show up for those kind of events. You may think, oh, that's kind of cool. But on Monday, yeah, it's an off day. We had some friends and family over last night. You know, we're having dinner. And guess what? Guess who they call on to pray? Me, because I'm ordained. (laughs) We pray, you know, we're professional prayers. I wanted to say, hey, Saturday night, it's my night off. (laughs) I'm not praying. I pray tomorrow on Sunday. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm not. No, you know, Jesus wants you to enter into his ministry every day of your life. And we're going to talk about that. In fact, here's how upfront he was about that. In John 20, verse 21, he says, As the Father sent me into the world, and in the original language, I'm not going to take time to explain it, but you just got to, you can go back and check it out. He says, in that exact same way, with that as the model, I'm not doing anything different, but I'm going to now send you into the world. In John 14, 12, he says this incredible thing. He says, everything you've seen me do, you're like, oh! And some of you think, if I could go back in time, I would watch Jesus do some of the stuff he did. That would be so amazing. You know what he said? He said, the works I do, you'll do. He said, in fact, you're not even going to do those things. You're going to do greater things than that. Let me ask you something. Are you doing the works of Jesus or even greater things in your life? Do you ever step back and go, I don't think I'm doing that. And I'm talking about miracles. I'm not talking about tomorrow, you know, you're in the cafeteria and go, hey, watch this. Give me two fish. You know, just, just like, boom. And like, I'm feed the whole dorm. No, it's, you know, it's not just tricks. It's not things. It's not like imitating that. I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the deeper, bigger, more important things. So we're going to look at that. We're going to kind of figure that out for ourselves. And, you know, and it all comes from this uh, wellspring. This, I grew up in Memphis. We had an artesian well as our water system. And it's so, the coffee's better, the barbecue's better, everything, because the water, the purity of the water. You know, you wash your car, and you go away, and you come back, and it's dry, and you west, and, and, it's, and there's not all these water spots like we have here because of the minerals and stuff. And I'm not doing a, I guess I am doing a comparison. Um, why, I'm, why do I get off on that? Okay, God's love is this just pure, unending supply. And when you experience that, when you experience His love... You're filled continuously, and it's, just, and it's infinite. So again, you step back and go, I don't think that's the way I'm living. I don't feel like that love is coursing through me.
But that's the thing. When God created humans in his likeness, you ever try to figure out what that means? Does God look like me? <laughs> Did God mean, you know, okay, I'm going to make you, and, and when you see me, you're going to go, oh, you look just like me. And I, get, I don't think that's it. I think he meant in our core, in the essence of who we are, God said, out of all the other things that I've made, I'm going to make you like me in your essence with the capability to be able to love and to feel love. Now, there are times I think my dog loves me. There are other times I think she's just using me, you know, because she knows I'm the one that's going to give her the bacon or take her on a walk or, you know, whatever you know, it is that she wants at the moment. Uh, maybe I think there's an emotional something there, but we're unique, aren't we? We're unique in this way that we love. Your dog's not going to die for their country. <laughs> or, yeah, I mean, okay. He has designed us, and we need to understand that He has created us to move. To live in the power and the authority of Jesus with love as the definitive quality about us. That's who we are. That was the original design of humans. I'm afraid that instead of living out of that abundance, that that's this resource and it just flows and we live out of God's love, we... We don't always experience that. It's been, it's been degraded. Our, our integrity has been shredded. And we approach our relationships, our careers, our pursuits. Everything has this mindset in that operating system. This is the, the malware. This is the virus that's been, that's been put in. What can I get out of it? How can I extract what I need from this job, from this relationship, from this church? And sometimes people hop from job to job or relationship to relationship or church to church saying, well, this one had this, but I need this and I want that. Instead of thinking, what am I going to invest? What, what do I bring to the table? What am I going to give? That's a corruption of how we were originally built. Instead of living in abundance with self-giving love, We've become consumers. The original in the design, his intention, and I hope you just kind of keep coming back to this, was freedom. Freedom. I love, there's this interesting um, idea. In Genesis 2.25, that's that verse... That maybe causes you to blush a little bit because it says Adam and Eve were naked. And you remember the first time you read that? You're in fifth grade. You went, <laughs> okay. And Tom Hodges is still giggling. He's still, okay, it's still, it's still. But here's the point of that, okay? They were unashamed. 
Now, I know your adolescent mind focuses on the first half of that, but I want you to try to pull your attention to that second part because that's the part that's really important. Think about it. Adam and Eve were unaware of, they had no knowledge, completely not acquainted with the emotion of shame. Can you imagine living in your life with no guilt, no shame, no regrets? Adam never got up and looked over at Eve and thought, I wonder what she's thinking. I bet she doesn't like the way I do my hair. (laughs) You know, I bet, oh, I bet she's never thought that. Can you imagine that in a relationship? No self-consciousness? None of that? No shame? I wonder what the elephants are thinking about me today. Look at the way they look at me. What? What is it? I mean, you never had those thoughts. You never went into the coffee shop or the deli or the, you know, the bus station or anywhere. And, and you never were worried about what anybody thought about you. They were so disconnected from that. That's freedom. But God gave us this ability to make our own decisions. He said, I'm going to let you choose. I'm not going to force myself on you. I'm not going to push you into this relationship and say, you've got to love me and you've got to respond to me and you've got to stay connected to me. You know what he did? He said, you have the ability to disconnect if you want to. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. When they were tempted, they got this idea, if we disobey, maybe that'll give us more freedom. And you know what it did? It's just the opposite. For the first time in their life, they entered into bondage. They began to know shame. They were plunged into alienation with God. Something that was so foreign to them. And not only were they separated. And by the way, that's not just diminished. I think when I used to read this, I thought, well, the relationship wasn't as good. And they had to move out of the really nice place into a not-so-nice place, but that was kind of the result of sin. It wasn't that. It was complete separation. It was a rejection. It was cutting off. They were plunged into alienation. And it wasn't just a separation from God. It began, this is so tragic, it began with each other. Whereas before... Adam and Eve. And you know how people on Facebook say, I'm so happy I married my soulmate and my best friend. And I think, yeah, okay, my best friend was Freddie. I would have never married Freddie. You know, I just, uh, he just, Adam and Eve were all of that. There was this intimacy and this oneness. They didn't have to work toward it. They never go to marriage conferences. They never listened to seminars. They never read books about relationships. They didn't have to. It just came so natural for them. That was damaged. I'll show you some evidence of that. Um, What what I think is how how that was cut cut off a little bit is 
if you remember when they sinned, and in Genesis 3.12, um, Adam said, you know, God said, we're going to read this in just a moment. And he said, you know, what, what happened? And Adam said, well, the woman... Can you imagine Eve standing over here going, did he just call me the woman? <laughs> Has he ever referred to her? I mean, it's, you know my name. You knew my name since the moment I was created, but now I'm the woman. The woman that you gave me. You, you see the footnote? You see what's written subtly there? This is all kind of your fault. I was fine when I just had the hippo and the lion and the tiger and everything was... But then the woman you gave me, do you see what happened? The fracture in their relationship? Something began to happen, not just with Adam and God, but with Adam and Eve. A distance began to appear. That was because of disobedience. And in that, they handed over their authority to Satan. This became his place, his dominion. Something different happened. Now this this world was surrendered to his rule. And there's no humanly generated way out of that predicament. You know, something interesting this week that I read, my wife's studying the Revelation. I haven't studied that for a while. So every now and then I glance, you know, it kind of got me interested. I went go back and look at it. And you remember in the Garden of Eden, they had access to everything. But then something happens. They're kicked out and the, the, the door is shut. The gates are locked to Eden, that goes away. That's gone now for us. And so the access to the tree of life doesn't show up again until, this is in the very beginning of the book of the Bible in Genesis, that doesn't show up again until Revelation 22.2 in the very end. We lost that until it reappears at the end. Our personal relationships with other people have been compromised. Uh, let's go back. Let me just read these, the first 13 verses, because I want you to really get just firsthand, instead of me telling you about it, what really happened. In Genesis 3, 1, it says, Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Did he really say that? Are you sure? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you Even touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Notice he didn't say if. 
So when, when you eat of it, you're going to eat. When you do, your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. That's why he doesn't want you to do it. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God, this is a God who's walking in a physical garden. Like Jesus would do called to the man and he said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then the man said, the woman... Whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the story unfolds. It was a horrible day. And because of that, our personal relationships with God and with one another, our relationships were compromised. Reconciliation can now only occur if God intervenes. And another result of our disobedience is this personal bondage and suffering that began to take place. Because you see, when there's a disconnect in relationships, then anything can happen. It's just two chapters later, one chapter later, that Cain actually kills his sibling. I know some of you felt like that, right? <laughs> if I had a stick right now. You know, but no, he actually did it. Do you see how far? We're not, here's creation, and here we are, and here's the first murder. The first killing, that's what happens when there's that spiritual disconnect. Relationships go south fast and you do incredible things you never thought you'd do. He kills his brother because something's changed. Now we're in bondage. And you know what happens when you go into bondage? We began hiding. We began covering up. And that was their first thing they did. Let's cover ourselves up. And let's hide in the garden somewhere. And we've been hiding and covering up ever since. Because of shame, fear, guilt, and condemnation. Because now we know those emotions very well, don't we? We are well acquainted with those emotions. But the story doesn't stop there. Because God had a plan to restore the lost. 
You don't have to live a defeated life or marginalized life anymore. You don't have to. Now the enemy, just like he lied to them back in the garden, he's going to keep lying to you about that. Oh yeah, you're going to always be a loser. You're going to always live like this. You're never going to... He, he doesn't want you to figure this out. He doesn't want you to know this. But one of the first things that God does in our lives when we're regenerated through the cross, when we become new people, is that he gives us freedom. And you know the first thing that freedom is from? Rejection. Adam and Eve sinned, and what's the first thing that happened? God warned them, this is what's going to happen. They were rejected. And isn't it funny that out of all the things that can happen to us in our life, we are more sensitive and aware and in tune to and hurt by rejection. I think more than anything else. Rejection. And that becomes a part of this new system that runs in the background. Because we've had a fear of being rejected ever since. It had a deep effect on all of us. Particularly whenever you were aware that that was what was happening. Whether it was in kindergarten or first grade or with your parents. Some of you are 40, 50, or 60, 70 years old. And you can still tell a story about your daddy. Or about your mama because there was a rejection or a perceived rejection from somebody. Why did that stay in your memory and all those other things didn't? Because we're connected to this. Because somewhere down deep in us we know this is not how God wants me to live. I'm not rejected. Now, Here's the beautiful thing. It's in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Here's what happens at salvation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation anymore. Now religion is really good at condemning, right? And really good at judging. And some of you got a big dose of that and you're done and you're over it. And maybe you think, that's why I don't go to church. That's why I stayed out of church for 19 years. Because I thought, you know what? I got enough people judging me. I don't need a whole room full of them. And that was my impression. I was wrong, but that was my impression of Christians and the church. It's a place to go to be condemned. Paul said, hey, you want to know good news about your salvation? There's no condemnation anymore. You're free. You've been set free. Isn't that beautiful? Can't you just almost feel that again? I know it gets covered up a lot by junk. But you're free. Now, how do we step into this? Where do we start? So glad you asked. Uh, because I've got... And this is where the pastoral part comes in, okay? I know you've been waiting on it for me to get all homiletical on you, and here it goes. Uh, I got four R's, the letter R, okay? Four R's so you can step into living free. And you can call them steps, you can call it a process, you can call it a beginning place, but we've got to have a reference point. We've got to have some way to define 
Okay, what do I do next? You're going to wrap this up? What do we do next? Okay, here's the first R. And it's got to be the first one. You can't, you can't mix these up. This is where you've got to start. It's repentance. Now, my stereotype of repentance was a guy up here, you know, yelling, Repent! <laughs> you know, and you're, you're like, ah! And that was my idea of repentance. There's this negative connotation because we think it's connected to condemnation, which we thought, Paul said we're set free from condemnation. Now you're telling me to repent. And that fe- I feel this sense of, no, you know what? That's a perverted view of what that concept, a biblical idea of repentance is it's it's amazing it's grace filled it's a gift that is your doorway to freedom now i and a lot of other pastors and teachers have probably said that well here's what repentance is that you're going along one way and this is my this is my one way walk and then i'm going to repent And so I turned the other way. But you know what repentance is? It's not just that turning. It's the walking in the other direction. It's leaving that behavior and that sin and deciding, I'm going to very purposefully walk in a new way. That's what repentance is. It's not sentimental. It's not a good feeling about, well, you know, I feel kind of bad about that now. And I kind of have sorrow over it. That's not repentance. You feeling bad about your sin is not repentance. It's when you leave it. And that's connected to this next idea, this next R. We need to rebuke or to renounce the activity of the enemy in our lives. James 4, 7 is this powerful verse, and I'm, I'm going to interrupt our flow to, to let you see this, because he said, submit yourselves. See, it calls for submission. You submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, when I first became a Christian, I struggled with some of those sins that I was still kind of connected to and in and, and a habit of. And so what I tried to do is what a lot of us try to do, ignore it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. You ever do that? You know, you do that. I don't want to. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm there. I'm not going to go any further. I'm a little further. I'm not going to go anymore. I'm going to go some more. You know, and we just, because I'm going to ignore you. That's not what it says. It doesn't say ignore the devil and he'll flee from you. He will not flee until you resist. So we have to resist the devil. You repent first, and then you resist him. And that leads me to the next R. You need to declare. You need to be bold. And there's a replacement life. I call it the new life, or the exchanged life, or however you want to define it. Today I'm going to call it the replacement life, because it fits my R thing. Okay? This is the way you're going to live. Hey, folks, listen. There is power in spoken words. There is power in spoken words. In declaration. In being specific. 
in Luke 19.8, there's a guy named Zacchaeus. And he was amazingly converted to Christ. He just fell in love to Jesus. And you know what he said? He said, I'm going to try to be a better guy now. And I'm going to really get my act together. And God, I'm going to walk with you. And he didn't say that. Here's what Zacchaeus said. He gets saved and he said, Half my goods I'm going to give to those who I've, I've exploited. And to those that I have defrauded, I'm going to repay that back times four. He didn't say, I'm going to be nicer. No, he made a declaration. I'm going to give half, I'm going to give everything back, and here's what I'm going to do. If I cheated you, I'm going to give you your money back, and I'm going to give you four times. That's what I'm going to do. And he said it out loud. He made a declaration. Some of you may be edged and you kind of thought, well, I just really don't need to be. No, you know what? You need to say, here's what I'm going to do. I mean, think of the other areas in your life where that just works. I'm going to lose 10 pounds by June. You see, now you didn't say, I need to drop a little because you never will. (laughs) Take it from me. I'm an expert. Uh, You got to get specific and you got to make declarations. So renounce and replace uh, things in your life. And then here's the last one. We need to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is a supernatural lifestyle we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. It, It has nothing to do with your flesh. In fact, you will fail miserably if you try to do this without the Lord. Only with His power and the ability of the Holy Spirit running through you Is this going to work? And it's very, very important you don't skip the first step. You see, if some of you are going to go home this afternoon and go, God, I just want to receive by faith the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because I did that in my dorm room. I did that when I began to understand and not be so scared of the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, I'd only been going to church for about a year and about six months, I'd heard. And I went to this little Baptist church. It was a great church, but we were all kind of scared of the Holy Spirit. And scared of people who weren't afraid of the Holy Spirit, you know, because they were kind of, woo. So, but this night, I just felt this liberty and just said, Lord, I just received by faith the filling of the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened? Nothing. Because I skipped the first step. Repentance. You repent. And then you renounce. And then you replace. And then you receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now you're empty, you're ready, it's supernatural. Repentance, I love in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, where he says, be sober, sober up, come to your senses, wake up, and stop sinning. Our minds get renewed, recalibrated to what is true. And something different and beautiful begins to happen. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And you just got to kind of humor me a little, all right? I want you to go home and remember this. So would you stand with me, please? This is our action point. This is the first place we go. And for all of us, it's going to look a little different. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on in your life. And I'm not going to dictate to you what to do next. But I am going to say it's going to involve this process. 
So let's say this out loud together. Here's what I'm, we're just gonna, I'm gonna say it, and um, will you just repeat it after me? I'm gonna say repent, renounce, replace, and receive. Okay? You good? Okay, I want you to, I want you to get this. Repent, repent. Renounce, renounce, replace, replace. Receive. receive. We have begun our journey back. God's original design. And you have taken the very first baby step to freedom 